Hello and welcome to the DTC Leaders Podcast, a series brought to you by Commercentric, the direct-to-consumer experts. In this episode, researcher Jacob Gunderson talks to me, Philip Driver, founder and CEO of Commercentric, on the challenge of going direct-to-consumer and how to manage channel conflict, and the changes to partner relationships it can bring about. Um... And one of the first questions I have is, let me just check. Um, if when when you are talking to different brands, are they do they already actively manage their relationship to to other um, to other retailers, or is it just something that happens along the way that they don't really that they don't really think about? Um, I think uh, it depends. Is the answer is the unhelpful answer that you you know the um, kind of uh, lecturer answer? It depends. So um, retail and brands have had a obviously there have been around a long long time. So retail's as old as as people are, uh, but it's only kind of the last. 20 years or so that we've seen some quite fundamental changes in some of that landscape. So some of the older brands that have lived through normal retail um, have either made some big changes around that or they still need to make some big changes around that. And that's why there's been a lot of kind of things around digital transformation, these changes in the market. But fundamentally, in the past, um, brands needed retailers because the infrastructure required to get products to market was just vast absolutely huge amounts of resources required to get your product to anybody from logistics to storefronts you know if you wanted to kind of I think about kind of the high street and what the high street used to be that was the only place to go buy anything and so you needed a route to that market and you couldn't just as a brand you couldn't just turn up with the suitcase full of goods and start peddling that uh, you know on any high street you had to work through retail and wholesalers and this intricate kind of business operations that had been set up over decades and decades and decades. Uh, and that worked very well for a long time. You know, the high street was the place to go. And so those relationships kind of solidified and, and were operationalized and people kind of understood how that all worked. And that was kind of very steady state, nothing changed. And then with the introduction of uh, more digital methods and the internet more than anything, We've seen huge amounts of disruption throughout that entire process now. And suddenly, all these routes to market are under threat, all these traditional routes to market are under threat. And as a business, you can either accept these new changes and bring them into your business, or you can try and reject them and push them out. And obviously, as a wholesaler or some of these other kind of uh, middlemen, if you like, between um, consumers and brands that can seem uh, a change you don't want to see happen so that can you know and if they they've kind of pushed against that sometimes so you might see some of that so that can cause a lot of friction um, but brands are more than anything now seeing that direct consumer is a necessity rather than something that's interesting I think even more so now after COVID-19 and, and just yeah, you know, the, on, the ongoing onslaught that we see on the high street of thing, retailers closing and doors closing and the retail kind of homogenizing a little bit around that. So we see that uh, brands need that route to market, if nothing else, just for safety, um, just to still have a route to customer. 
And obviously that causes more friction with then these other partners, either retail partners or wholesalers, distributors, um, who have been used to working in a certain way, been used to having a certain percentage of that brand's products or time or money. Uh, and again, these these things are being changed quite rapidly in some cases, uh, certainly through COVID-19 overnight in some cases, which is why we see businesses folding uh, again because they weren't ready for a change. Um, and adaptability is one of the key things that can keep a business into the long term as well. Having some ability to be agile against market forces, sometimes unpredictable market forces, can help you get through those times and having strong um you know, infrastructure and people to be able to kind of pivot when you need to. But certainly, you know, through the experience we've seen, if I go back, um, you know, direct consumer is not new by any means. You know, me and Michael were working on direct consumer brands, you know, up to 10 years ago, helping some of the early adopters uh, do that. Now, um, some of those were probably more digital in the beginning. So digital products obviously do quite well instantly on the online. And it seemed a very natural thing. Uh, to do that um, and so there's a lot of brands that kind of the early adopters around that were generally digital products and um, they saw less problems around channel conflict or distributors because it was so easy just to go straight to consumer from that point of view but the rest of the businesses with you know physical goods um, who'd built up this infrastructure over decades and decades to get their products to market to get that process to change is quite difficult and if I take uh, Canon for an example, where I worked and helped them kind of go to direct to consumer, they had um, they had practiced some direct to consumer in the past, um, somewhat unsuccessfully or with half-heartedly. Um, but uh, in the last few years, they've taken that much more seriously and decided to go direct to consumer. But as a nearly hundred-year-old Japanese manufacturer, um, they were sat on huge amounts of legacy. You know, they had a certain way of working. They were operationalized for dealing with retailers, were dealing, you know, who were buying, you know, pallets and pallets of goods who are dealing in millions of euros worth of stock that gets moved around to suddenly actually turn, turn around and say, oh, actually, we need to kind of ignore that for a bit. And we need to think about how do we get one single camera to a person in Germany? How do we do that? And actually, that's quite difficult if you've never done it before. Um, because you're used to sending things business to business, used to sending things from a large warehouse that delivers big pallets of things to another big warehouse that accepts big pallets of things. And now you've got to build all this new infrastructure in place. Uh, and that can take a lot of time and effort and money, which is why a lot of times brands are a little bit reticent um, to kind of push into direct consumer. And a lot of times why distributors can hang in for quite a long time, because they can, the smarter ones can offer solutions for some of that they can help with that transition to direct consumer um the poorer ones obviously just carry on as they are uh, and tell the brands that uh, it's a waste of time doing direct consumer but a lot of the distributors now try and fill in some of that middle ground by saying well we can we can adapt and we could be your you know direct consumer uh warehouse or we can do your logistics around direct consumer or we could even build your store for you and so you see Quite a few distributors helping around that. Yeah, that's that also leads me leads me to the next question. Um, that is what 
because now when brands are starting to go direct to consumer and decrease the number of retailers, then what can the retailers do to become more important to the brand so they don't be so they won't be forgotten in all of this uh, in this transformation? Well, um, unfortunately, there will be casualties in this process. You, you can't change a market and not and not see some of that. However, the better retailers realize that there is still a place for a retail environment. There is a high street retail environment that is still a genuine need. If there wasn't, you wouldn't see Apple having so many stores, you know, and they built those stores in the last 20 years. They didn't have those before the advent of iPhone. They never had stores before. But as soon as they kind of grew to the scale that they are now and had a product that they could showcase and they could take to market, they wanted a high street presence. And so you can certainly see that there is still a, a need and a desire from consumers to go to a place to explore product, uh, get hands-on with product. You know, that's still uh, a need for many consumers. Not all consumers, but there is definitely a need for that. Um, mm. So it's whether or not uh, how that fits in with your planning around that. So as a retailer, it's, okay, well... I'm what service am I adding or by what value am I adding to the sales process? What value can I add? And really it's I can give a nice environment for someone to view this product, get a hands on with the product, um, to be taught about this product, you know, for slightly more complicated products. I'll take Canon as an example as well. Um, so Canon has, you know, retailers who are very large, like Media Markt or someone like that, and they have smaller independent retailers. And whilst the read smaller independent retailers may not actually be the huge revenue driver from a volume perspective, they're really very important from a consumer's perspective because these are normally smaller stores where people can go speak to an expert about that particular product. And some of these products can be quite complicated and technical. And having somebody who is also you know, technically minded about that product available to speak to it can add real value to that sale. Um, so again, it depends on the type of product. Do you need a showcase uh, high-end store for selling rubber bands? Well, probably not, right? But for high-tech, high desirable items, high-end desirable items, possibly items with greater margin, let's put it that way, um, retail can still serve a very valuable present, presence on the high street, certainly for fashion. You know, that people want to go try on clothes and, and do that. I think that's not going to go away. Uh, it just needs to evolve. Also, it needs to get closer to some of the online experience and, and things like that. So a lot of the better retailers have invested in some of their click-to-collect solutions, um, you know, the alignment between e-commerce and store. Um, and also, from an operational point of view, giving some um online revenue recognition to your retailers or to your retail stores is also quite useful because someone might go into a store maybe they register in that store maybe you get their details in this store they try on product in that store but they never buy in that store but they still buy the product they're just buying it online or from uh, an online retailer and so that's still but there was still a valuable interaction that happened in that store something happened in that store that it, that meant that they were going to go buy that product it's just they preferred to buy it online or they didn't have the time there and then to buy it in the store. Uh, and unfortunately, that's quite an unquantifiable thing sometimes. And so having some ability to either recognize the power that retail, high street retail has in the overall sales process, even if that sales process completes online, is still very important. 
So it's how do you kind of bring those two things together? And the more that you can align those businesses and, you know, technology is helping with that, with, like I say, click and collect, with having um, uh, kiosks in store where you can browse the online goods that are not potentially available in that store, that you're linking that your, your stock between store and online. Uh, and you're making that a much more seamless experience that, you know, from a consumer point of view, there is no difference. Um, then that's going to all help and bring those together. And that's why retail, you know, that's that through technology and better understanding of consumer behavior, retail can survive into the long term. Um, but, you know, it may be very different to how it is today. Yeah. Um... What would you say the pros and cons are from selling through the retailers? So obviously there are what you already mentioned that they give they give a physical space where customers can go and view your products, but are there any other um, like benefits that brands get from from having these retailers? It increases your reach. Um, you know, um, the retailers have huge amounts of infrastructure. Uh, you know, they they do what they do very well. I think they're struggling at the moment because of you know various reasons, COVID and things like that. But you've got to remember the retail's been around for a very long time, and they understand it very, very well. Um, and they have huge amounts of infrastructure. If you think about a John Lewis or a Media Markt or you know these these bigger retailers, they've invested you know hundreds of millions of euros over the years to make high street shopping amazing. And you would never be able to replicate that, not without huge amounts of investment. They've got stores everywhere, stores that perhaps you would never think about opening because they were open 20 years ago and the building's paid for. And now they don't have to worry about overheads in that particular region, things like all these other th considerations that they've spent the time and the money already to get into the places where you want to sell your products. So they give you huge amounts of reach. They give you huge amounts of instant volume uh, to reach your customers. They give you huge amounts of marketing. Because the placements within these stores are hugely valuable. So if you can get a, an end of aisle or you get some huge placements within supermarkets or a media market or you know, in the UK, perhaps a, a John Lewis or something like that, customers are coming through those stores and they're viewing all those products. And if your products are there, they are seeing your products, irrespective of whether they buy them there or then, they're seeing those products in a store in a place that you would never have been able to show it because you don't have that reach, you don't have that footfall. You don't have people coming to you to just have a wander around and have a, a day out. So there's huge amounts of volume and reach that you give you, huge amounts of marketing presence. Um, you do get that added value of you know human interaction to go into a store, be able to speak to a person, um, irrespective of whether they're you know an expert or not. But they can tell you if it's in stock, it's not in stock. You know they can explain the you know the intricacies of kind of what might be around that product or something around it. Um, or alternatives and things like that. So it's all these human traction pieces. It's these huge amounts of reach that they offer to you. Um, and they've been doing it a very long time. You know, they know their business very, very well. Yeah. What are then some of the, the cons for, for keeping these retailers? Well, obviously, there's a cost to all of that. Um, you know, they're, they're not charities. They are selling products because they make money from selling them. And they're always going to be wanting them for cheaper. Uh, you know, if we think about an Amazon, um, as you know, it's it's easy to get beat up Amazon a little bit as the huge, massive corporation they are. But 
Um, they do what they do very well, but ultimately they sell, you know, millions of different products and they don't necessarily, um, care too much about what they sell. They do what they do very well. They shift boxes, they sell items, um, but the individual care around the, you know, individual, you know, brands and items is probably less so than you would get direct. You know, the retailers can never care as much about your product as you do. They can never give it that that extra that they that you could give it yourself so there is that um there's the margin in there obviously giving away you know depending on what the product is could be you know quite a large amount of margin that you could be keeping for yourself or you know using in a different way um you know of quite often you're spending extra it can become quite complicated the relation the commercial relationships that you have with distributors and retailers and that you will be paying they will be buying your product at a certain price um they may not maintain any pricing that you give them so they may decide to sell it for cheaper more expensive you know they, they, once you once they've bought it they can pretty much do what they want with it you're not allowed really to you know control that price it would be um illegal to do so um so you lose a lot of control in that process um you're likely paying them for other things as well so we talked about the marketing sometimes large businesses charge you extra for marketing there's a, a marketing investment on top of the price um, that they're getting their product for. So there's probably something else around that. And there could be other investments that they're asking you to make for infrastructure reasons or for delivery reasons or some other kind of reasons. So there's normally quite a bit of money involved. <clears throat> and aside from that, once your product becomes less desirable to them, um, obviously they're going to care less about its placements in stores. And, you know, we, we've all been into stores where we've seen lots of products sat in a bargain bin in a corner and it's all get these for five euros, 10 euros, whatever. And if that's your product that sat in that bargain bin, that's not a great advertisement for your product. It makes it look cheap and it makes it look kind of you know, because there's, there's less there's less care about that product. So you lose that control over that. And ultimately, the retailer can choose to sell your product or somebody else's product or any product that might be in that store. Someone, someone may come into that business looking to buy a camera or a washing machine or whatever it might be, but might come out buying, you know, uh, a radio. We don't know what there is, you know, what, what happens in that store is down to the retailer. You know, they're in control of that entire relationship. You're not in control of what happens with that consumer. Um, so they could they could come in and ask specifically for your product, but get cross sold something entirely different or a completely different brand, a competitor brand um, that they happen to have a better deal on, or is you know has higher margin for them, or is there some incentive on for them to sell? So you've got no control over that situation. Um, ultimately, you don't have any control um, or rights generally to customer information. So Amazon's customers are Amazon's doesn't matter if you sold a million things on Amazon, you, Amazon are not going to tell you all about that customer that they sold them to. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't have any data, you have no information, which is quite bad as a brand because you want to understand your customers to give them better products in the future. And so they have to do a lot of other things like this is why you see a lot of warranties with electrical goods and, uh, and um, cash back offers and these other incentives, because that is a desperate attempt to get more data because they didn't get it originally because the retailers got it because that or that's the retailer's customer. 
So you lose all these other bits, which actually these days is increasingly valuable. It was less valuable, um, you know, some 10, 20 years ago because people didn't do as much with the data. But now the data is so powerful and so useful, it's actually more important to get the data sometimes than the actual sale. Um, so that's that's where, again, we've seen a bit of a seismic shift and why brands are taking much more interest in controlling that consumer relationship now, because the data involved in that transaction is almost as important as the actual sale itself. Other than any retailer who says like, okay, we accept that you are focusing more on D2C, but then to become more important to you, we would like to share this data. Is this data always something that they would keep for themselves? Depends on the retailer. Um, certain retailers do have that conversation with their brands, and I've, I've heard about it before. I won't mention anybody who's doing it, but um, that does happen. Um, it's it's a tricky area as well because it depends on how that data was collected as well. Because obviously we've got things like GDPR um, in the mix as well there. So people have to be very careful about how they what they do with that data they've collected because it is now a kind of a, a sacred thing that you've collected someone's data and how you then process that and use it is you know can can be, have some big impacts on your business so there's there's that that plays into it as well but yes some retailers do offer that or there's a process through the sale where information is collected and shared with brands um but it's it's less common than you would think yeah okay um, what motivates brands to stay in a relationship with, relationship with the retailer? Is that normally because it's um, profitable for them or is it also because they historically have had a good relationship so they don't want to, to cut it straight away? Um, a bit of everything. Um, so they are hooked on that revenue. If they're an older retailer, they are hooked on that revenue. You know, it's very it's very hard to turn down revenue even if it's becoming less and less profitable revenue it's still revenue mm -hmm. and certainly most relationships uh, you know have been built up over years with retailers and brands between retailers and brands and there may be a, you know a sales director uh, that's that's been running that you know relationship for many many years and they're having that same conversation year after year uh, and maybe you know that relationship is is becoming fraught or strained but it's still a, lot, a, lot, a lasting relationship that's been happening for a long time. And um, unfortunately, some businesses also lose track of, of profitability in this relationship in that you maybe is, you know, you're selling retailer X 10 million euros worth of goods every year. And you're used to getting that amount of revenue. You don't want to lose that revenue. But actually, the profitability has gone from, you know, 20 percent down to 3 percent or something um over that time but you you still see the revenue number of well, well we can't not get this 10 million you know what will look at our sales numbers look like you can't just drop 10 million out of the sales numbers but actually in the grander scheme of things the profitability within that relationship is actually pretty poor um so there's that to contend with but it's not always visible on the surface you know um the way businesses operate you know what the financial director is looking at versus what the sales director is looking at sometimes very different things and they're also um compensated on totally different areas you know a financial director within a business is compensated on managing risk and reducing costs the sales director is tasked on hitting his sales targets and he's not going to want to lose his 10 million year years uh, 10 million a year worth of business irrespective of whether it's making three percent 10 percent or 20 percent he's still tasked on hitting a certain sales number so you get these conflicting interests within a business as well that kind of uh, 
kind of push things around a little bit from that perspective. Um, sorry, can you just repeat the, the question on that one again? Just so uh, that was, I think you pretty much answered it, but it was uh, what motivates brands to stay in the relationship with the retailer? Yeah, so um, hooked on the, re the revenue, um, but it's still the reach that they give them, basically. Come back to the earlier point we talked about. It's that, yeah. that reach and that marketing that they provide to them, the infrastructure that they provide to them, um, and the rest is kind of probably more legacy. Yeah. Um, what kind of measures do brands consider when choosing or, in this case, also keeping certain retailers except for, for sales? Uh, sales. We talked about profitability. That is, you know, becoming more and more important to certain retailers. Um, the retailers' brand presence, the retailers' um, credit rating, but more than anything, is, is these days kind of coming into question a lot more because retails under huge amounts of pressure mm -hmm. um, to be able to hold stock and buy stock, um, and we see kind of brands refusing to kind of, uh, you know, give credit to some retailers now, and that's when retailers fully collapse. Um, because they can't, they can't get credits basically anymore, um, because they've they're overcome, overburdened with debt, and then they can't build up any, they can't have any credit with their um, with their retailers or with their brands and their wholesalers, so they can't actually buy anything. Because uh, a lot of this, a lot of these purchases are done on credit. Um, so there's that, um, but uh, most of it just again comes back to the kind of relationships. Yeah. Okay. Um, then moving to a bit of a, um, another topic, which is conflicts, um, which naturally exists when brands are starting to going from being a partner to being a competitor at the same time. What do you think brands should should do about this when they go out in the market and become a competitor? Um, I think there's a there's a kind of very sharp decision to be made about how you're going to manage it. You're either going to be very aggressive. And you're just not going to care. You're just going to, if you're going to do direct to consumer, you're going to go very aggressive after it and you're going to push for it and you're going to make it work and retailers kind of be damned in that process. And there's some reason, some people do do that. Um, and some people have a product where they can get away with it as well. Certainly people like Apple, because everyone wants an Apple product, it's hugely desirable. And so Apple can pretty much dictate all their terms to anybody they desire. Um, retailers or not. So Apple sells direct to consumer, Apple sells in stores, but Apple sells in high street retail. Apple sells everywhere, as Apple can. And uh, so they have that huge, they have a huge amount of brand power to be able to do whatever they please to a certain extent. Um, many brands don't are not as comfortable as that. Many brands don't have that amount of brand power. They actually rely on their retailers a huge amount. And so for that relationship is much more fragile. Um, you know, they can't be bullish like Apple and just say, well, deal with it. We're doing this. Um, most retailers, most brands have to have a, you know, a, a balancing act with their retailers. So then they have to go to market and think about things in a much more complex way. So they have to decide, well, okay, how aggressive can we go? Uh, and that's not just from a price point of view, but that's kind of a marketing point of view from a stock point of view, because I'm going to give preference to stock to my e-commerce channel or I'm going to give preference to stock to my retailer. You know, all these choices they have to make um, and pricing, you know, but as soon as they are in the market, they have to accept the fact that they can't really be too half hearted because as soon as you're selling online, you are a competitor. As soon as you're selling direct, you are a competitor. 
There is, there's no other way of looking at it. And also from an anti-competition point of view, um, anti-non-competition point of view, rather, um, you have to be in competition. If you're seen to be not in competition, then the alternative is that you are in collusion, and therefore that is an illegal practice because you're running uh, price fixing on these other things. So you have to be you have to be competitive if you're going to do it. Um, but you know, there's ways and means of, of doing that as well. And so it's how aggressive you want to be on you know price points versus retail and these other things. Um, so there's that kind of piece around that. Um, internally, there's um, a lot of infrastructure required to actually get yourself to kind of become direct consumer as well. So there's a lot of investment, internal investment required to even kind of start that process. So I think that's the other thing. And a lot of the time, retail uh, brands really have to decide what direct consumer means for them as well. And that's not as simple as just having a store. There's, there's something beyond that. Um, there's a um, there's a methodology you're probably aware of. It. It's called Blue Ocean methodology but we adapted it slightly um from an e-commerce point of view in that uh, we created a, a graph where we've got a retail environment or we've got a, we've got a consumer environment and along one side of the graph we've got um price on the bottom let's say this on the on the bottom axis we've got price and on the uh, side axis on the uh y-axis we've got um experience and if you think about it, that's the market that we're looking at then. So in the bottom corner there of kind of low price, poor experience, you've got perhaps eBay or secondhand or third party kind of resellers and sellers in there in this kind of environment where it's like it's cheap. It's maybe it's being knocked about. It's not a particularly great product, but it's cheap and it's there and available. And then in the center, you've probably got retail and retail have a good price, reasonable price. A good experience, high reach, high volume, pretty good at what they do. You don't really want to mess with that too much. And then as a retailer, you're probably sat, as a brand, sorry, you're sat probably to then the right of that again, in that you're going to be more expensive. And then it's about whether or not you choose to have an experience which is improved or the same as retail. Because if you are more expensive, and your experience from a consumer point of view, retail point of view, is the same as retail, you're not adding value to your, to your, uh, your customers or you know, what you do. You're just doing what retail does and it's more expensive. So what value are you actually bringing into that? So what are you gonna do to kind of improve that transaction? And what a lot of brands try to do is try and push themselves into a more premium space. They try and add value. They try and differentiate the product slightly. So they might have slightly different product lines. You might get um, like the premium version from their the own brand store. You might get extra benefits from uh, ordering direct. These are the value adds that they add to the equation to kind of just make that bit of differentiation from, from retail. So retail has the goods. And if you want to go buy the thing at the price, you can go there. But if you want to interact with the brand, and some people do want, you know, a lot of consumers actually want to buy direct from the brand. Um, they want that direct relationship. So they may go to the brand store, but there has to be this other, you know, this, this other thing. that they, So the brand needs to showcase the product in its absolute best light. It needs to be the example of how to sell the product. Um, it needs to have these other value-added aspects to it. Kind of just what is the difference between them and retail? Because there has to be something. Um, and then the other alternative is you're super aggressive. And actually, you build an e-commerce store and then you push retail out. 
and therefore there is no competition because yeah. you stop you stop giving them the product and if they, if they have the product there's no competition <laughs> yeah so um yeah and then do do you think the retailers they normally accept this um this transformation or do they just have to accept it or do they actually think this is a necessity for the brands as well to, to do this? I think most retailers realize that, um, you know, times have changed and consumer behavior has changed fundamentally. I think a lot of retailers still believe that they can sell products better than the brand and still have that experience and infrastructure to do so. And in some cases, that is true. Um so there is always going to be conflict and, you know, being a retailer, they're going to fight for their corner, whatever happens, you know, they're, they're not going to lie down and, you know, and not say anything. Um, they are going to perhaps complain or, you know, kick up a fuss in some cases. But ultimately, if the brand makes that decision and continues down that track, there's very little they can, you know, really do. Um, again, because the, the relation, but again, it depends on the relationship and the power of that brand, as we said yeah. With an app, and when these conflicts they they occur, do you see them as beneficial or as a hurdle for this for any given relationship? Sorry, the question was the the conflict. Is it is it beneficial? The conflict is something. The question was. Yeah, if it's beneficial or if it's a yeah, if it's if it's a big hurdle for a like if it can. Um, you say if it's beneficial or non-beneficial when when occurring um it probably doesn't feel very beneficial at the time because it's just you know nobody likes conflict with perhaps retail partners they've had for a long time um but ultimately it will uncover issues in the way that you work anyway so you're all you're really doing is turning over stones and finding problems you know these are probably things that haven't changed in a long time certainly when we look at um, you know, established brands and established retailers that have had relationships for a very long time they've been doing the same thing in the same way for a long long time and uncovering some of this stuff also uncovers other poor business practices along the way like you were giving away far too much marketing money to some of these retailers or you were giving away far too much or not enough in some cases you know the you're uncovering more about that relationship and what makes it work and hopefully on the back of that whilst the relationship will have suffered the business relationship or the way of working should have improved and that you've uncovered some stuff you've improved some stuff perhaps you've as a brand you've improved your practices about how you deal with retailers and the retailer has hopefully improved the way they deal with their brands um, and hopefully they have a better relationship on the back of it because they're doing different things you know, they've they've incited a change to happen, and hopefully that's a you know a positive change. Might not feel like it at the time, but um, hopefully positive changes happen on the back of it. Yeah. Then, when brands they normally get this idea of having getting a D two C strategy, do they already from the beginning consider the the retailers and how they will react to all of this, or is it something that they tend to forget? Um, it depends on who's inside of the project within the business, generally. Again, corporations are fairly complicated beasts and e-commerce does not always necessarily sit within the business departments you'd expect it to sit within. So <clears throat> if it's coming from a sales perspective, then you would expect they've, they've taken that into account. 
to a certain extent. Um, but then they may be also a little bit timid in their approach and that they're too complacent about or they're too worried about their retail relationships. If it's coming from an IT perspective or a marketing perspective, they may be more aggressive towards the retailers because they're not thinking in those terms. They don't, they don't have sales numbers to you know worry about, particularly with you know from that perspective, they're looking to build a channel. If it's coming from a financial point of view, then they're probably quite keen on it because it looks like it's going to you know improve margins um, overall. Um, but then there's huge amounts of costs involved for setting up a direct to consumer channel as well. So it's very quite complicated undertaking, and actually. Whether or not you think it will be successful or whether or not you think it will be beneficial uh, will probably be highly dependent on what department you sit within that business and its impact on you. Um, because there's a lot of change management that's required for a business to go direct to consumer. If they've never done it before, that is. Mm. You know, some business direct to consumer from, from the start and therefore it's just more ingrained into what they do. It's just part of what they do. And therefore it's just part of the normal the everyday challenges and they don't see, particularly see conflict from that it's just how you deal with a bit yourself as a business but the older the companies that have been around perhaps without a direct consumer channel and there's a lot more interplay there's a lot more change management behind the scenes required and some of that can be very very painful and challenging and uh, may require you know you know changes in staff and changes in methodologies and lots of other things yeah do have you normally seen that employees, do they play a big role when managing these relationships? You already mentioned that you might have a manager that has a really social, strong social connection to somebody from a partner company. Is this something that is, um, like, is this a big part of relationships or could they easily be changed in the employees and then the, con the relationship would just continue in the same, in the same matter? Yeah, again, it depends um, on just how disruptive direct consumer is going to be for that business. You know, for some businesses, again, we'll we'll pick on the older businesses a little bit, can be hugely disruptive. It can be very uh, upsetting um, for you know staff members because again, you're talking about change management. Um, you're seeing huge huge changes in in the way that business works. Um, you probably see huge changes in some, you know, not just within sales, but within marketing, within operations, uh, warehousing, or, or lots of changes required for a business to go direct to consumer. And so people could, there's probably some new jobs created, but on the back of that, perhaps some jobs lost as well. Um, you know, and businesses tend to lose jobs before they're willing to kind of spend money on new jobs. So you'll probably see students shuffling around as well. And yes, you'll have people that have had strong relationships with retailers or it's their job to have a relationship with retailers and it will put them under stress because they now have a stressful relationship with that retailer where perhaps before it was not so i mean you're still dealing with people and people don't like change unfortunately yeah okay i actually think that was yeah we've been through all the questions i have prepared some of them i haven't asked but we we pretty much came through it anyway so I don't know if you have anything you would like to add, or Michael, if you have anything you think that might be helpful for me to to know about as well. Uh, no, I think you've covered uh, a lot of important points there. Um, and you know, when we spoke previously, um, mm. you know, there, there was a lot of angles you could come at with this uh, with this yeah. project. So, I think um, I think you've captured uh, some good information there. 
Um, and Phil, thank you very much for your time uh, to go through this. This is very helpful. So thanks very much.